Hey everybody, I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. And on this segment of World Impact News, we are going to bring a thesis to you regarding JFK and the events that happened on November 22nd, 1963. And so we have a lot of good information. You know, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there that people, you know, and certainly that the media wants to portray it as just being theories, but we actually have some facts and a new thesis about the events that occurred on that day that really shook America. I mean, imagine yes, like very much so. grown men crying, the nation just fell to its knees in the tragedy, the mm-hmm. event, the, the whole circumstance of it. And so we're just going to shed some light on the events that happened and what happened. And we're really doing this in light of November 22nd, 2019. We're on the 56th anniversary of that day. That faithful day. And you're right. It was a paradigm shift. It was a different time, a different era. People were much more innocent in many ways. The Democratic Party actually made some sense. Imagine that. Uh, It's truly a, a different time. But what we're, the light we're shedding on it, ladies and gentlemen, is a bright light and a very different one. We're going to look in places where people have not really looked before or, and or we're going to show you things that are markedly different from the theses that you've seen, uh, Grassy Knoll versus Texas School Book Depository and all of that. And the, the key thing to keep in mind, Jason, and those listening um, on this video and on the podcast is that the one thing, the government story of what happened, the Warren Commission on that fateful day, the one thing that story has in common with all the different theories is that there's this linchpin idea that JFK died that day via assassination by rifle fire. We're going to show compelling evidence. You be the judge as to the final outcome of, of what you think about this, but we're going to show a number of elements of compelling evidence that something very different happened on that day. And the fact that this has not been looked into adequately really is a explanation as to why this crime has never been definitively solved, despite the image of the Warren Commission report purporting to have definitively solved it. We, we beg to differ. We believe that was just a, a theory posing as a solution, in lack of a better description. And we're gonna show you something markedly different and really eye-opening and in a sense refreshing because this issue needs fresh information and new perspectives to get it out of mothballs and get us out of this paradigm that we've been kept in through the government story and through all the different theories that part with the government story, but again, agree on the one linchpin idea that it was simply assassination by gunfire. Let me quote this first Yes. before we get into it. Absolutely. It's a great quote that says, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Quoted by Sherlock Holmes. And so that's how we're going to look at it in many cases where you might say, well, why has nothing really been proven definitively, although they want you to believe that it was correct but there's still a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of information out there that points to other things and so one of the things to just take into consideration is 
If a crime was not committed, then how can you prove that it was? So, and that's what we're going to look at. However, there were different crimes there, and you got to understand there are conspiracies, actual conspiracies against the American people that do happen and are unfortunately commonplace in America. That's an important point, Jason, that we have to be careful of the, those two words, conspiracy theory. The, the implication by putting those two words together is that all conspiracies, all conspiracies, excuse me, are theories or that all theories are conspiratorial. The fact of the matter is, is that that's misleading. You can have conspiracy fact where you uncover an actual conspiracy. And yes, you can have conspiracy theories. But by putting the words conspiracy theory together, that's meant to imply that any time you invoke the idea of a conspiracy, that it must be purely a theory and could never arrive at being a fact. Mm -hmm. That is a fallacy. That is a logical fallacy. And you have to keep that fallacy in mind as we explore this fresh look at the events of 11-22-63 in Dallas, Texas. Absolutely. So, um, so go ahead. I mean, you know, Mark, get right into it. I know you have some different things that we're going to provide some different information as well as uh, some different pictures and quotes, but regardless of, of it being a sinister or non-sinister, you know, be open-minded about this, and this is really thought-provoking as we present the facts and present the information so that you can then make an intelligent decision. So, Right, and these are the facts that have been denied the people. And if you deny these facts, you can't make an intelligent decision. Exactly. So we're filling a gap here, ladies and gentlemen, an information gap. And I have to come clean, Jason, confession being good for the soul. I did a lot of independent research with no relation, Brian David Anderson, that's S-E-N on his Anderson, I'm an S-O-N. And the independent research we did goes back about 10 years. It started in about 2008, 2009. And Brian got on a radio show I was doing at that time and challenged me to disprove him and help him research what was then a budding book called My God, I'm Hit. Now it's known primarily as a video movie at mygodimhit.com. We'll talk about that more later. But in doing the research with Brian David Anderson, and I, my job was to keep him honest and help him meet people and research uh, things, I, I interviewed Jim Lavelle, the famous guy that was holding Oswald uh, in the handcuffs, wearing the right. big uh, Stetson hat yes. in the basement of the Dallas police when uh, Oswald was apparently plugged by Ruby. I met Jim Lavelle. I interviewed Clinton Hill, the famous Secret Service agent that jumped on the back of the Kennedy car uh, coming off the Queen Mary. He was actually Jackie's Secret Service agent. He's the only one that moved out of formation, as we all know, and jumped on the back of the presidential limo. I met and interviewed him twice. I met and interviewed Lavelle in his home once. Um, I met and interviewed the recently deceased Dr. Robert McClelland, whose role in this was very important. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So that was in his home too. I didn't mess around, ladies and gentlemen. And the information that I'm gonna show you now, that we're gonna show you, is, is quite interesting. And I have to be upfront about it. What we're saying is that on that day, JFK lived another day and several more days. In fact, we believe he lived out his actual life. What we're saying is that the apparent shooting was a staged fake shooting. 
and that Kennedy actually abdicated his presidency under cover of a fake assassination and gave up the throne, so to speak, uh, under some sort of arrangement with deep state intelligence, and that the people were fooled into thinking that he had been assassinated by rifle fire that day. Now, that might sound like a tall order. Now, let's look at the support structure under that. There's a number of ways I could go with it, but one of the things I'll show, and we'll show an enlarged version of this, is this image here. And right here is the actual image, Brian and I believe, of the real bullet hole in the back of Kennedy's jacket that he wore that day, his suit jacket. This jacket is actually physically located, Jason, at the National Archives um, station at College Park, Maryland. The, the National Archives has facilities all over the country, including the main one in Washington, D.C., and all of the presidential libraries are components of the National Archives. A lot of people don't know that. But what we found, when I first saw this this image of this jacket, I was at the Texas School Book Depository, which became the Sixth Floor Museum, which it is to this day, along Elm Street there in downtown Dallas. And I was up there one day with my wife Angie, and I was looking at an image of this jacket, the back of this jacket, and I kept looking at it and looking at it, and I saw an anomaly, and that's what I pointed to a moment ago, and that's what we see as the real bullet hole, not the fake one that was toward the middle of the back. And I called Brian David Anderson, and what happened is he contacted College Park, and that's where these images came from, Jason. We contacted College Park. Brian paid the rather exorbitant fees of getting very high-resolution photos. When we asked to go into the facility and actually see the jacket in person, they said, no way, not a chance, <laughs> that you have to be a bona fide PhD or, or MA researcher. The Kennedy family has to give you all sorts of permission a million hoops to jump through, naturally we declined anyway. So we saw this, what I saw in the Texas School Book Depository, i.e. museum, we saw it blown up with a high resolution photo to verify my hunches. And sure enough, we saw, um, again, a. this is the enlarged image, we saw the blood-soaked image in the, in the upper right shoulder, about three or four inches down from the top of the shoulder, and we saw that that appeared to be the real bullet hole and what was in the middle, again, looked to be contrived. And remember, the Warren Commission tried to say that what hit the sort of upper middle back about five inches below the neck somehow went through Kennedy and then went straight up, which is impossible, through his neck, the magic bullet, and went into John Conley, yeah. the governor of Texas at that time, <laughs> who was sitting directly in front of Kennedy in the 100X limo. So, of course, that's the magic bullet. Bullets don't do that, particularly at a high-powered rifle. So, It was we, a remote control bullet. Oh, yes, we forgot. Except they didn't have that in those days. Yeah. Drone bullets, darn it. <laughs> at any rate, so, uh, we over the years, we looked for, naturally, we, we looked for corroboration for all the things we brought forward. <clears throat> now, in fast forward to 2012, I'm doing a news assignment in Virginia, and I, I sit down after a tired day, and who do I find on TV? Another researcher who's looked into some JFK stuff, Robert Caro, C-A-R-O. He happens to mention that as of that time, in mid-2012, there was pending the release of all the testimonials of all the Secret Service agents, Jason, who were in Dallas on that day. 
only those who were there that day who had audio or visual experiences as to what happened. So this collection that was until then top secret and classified was to be released. Naturally, I called Brian right away and he got a beat on it and found out pretty soon thereafter that the LBJ Library, part of the National Archives right here in Texas, in Austin, <clears throat> in fact, had copies and was about to release them and Brian paid a nominal fee, I believe, and we got a hold of that collection about this thick of the testimonials. And to go along with the real bullet hole that we saw in the right shoulder of the jacket at College Park, we found this quote as I combed through this large compilation of testimonials from Secret Service agents. I found one from Secret Service agent Glenn Bennett, who happened to be sitting, Jason, in the Queen Mary, that's the limo that LBJ was in, directly behind the limo that JFK was in. That uh, JFK's was called the 100X, once again, and the Queen Mary. And Glenn Bennett was a pencil pusher normally for the Secret Service, but he had to fill a seat that day, so they called him away from his desk and put him out in the field. He didn't have a lot of field experience, so when he heard the shot, the first shot, he was among the few that didn't go like this looking around. He kept his face straight forward, and he had a perfect bead, as is shown in this photo. He had a perfect view of JFK's back and right shoulder, and Glenn Bennett's testimonial read as follows. Immediately upon hearing the supposed firecracker, looked at the boss's car. At this exact time, I saw a shot that hit the boss, the boss's JFK, about four inches down from the right shoulder, which is exactly where we saw what we, what we contend is the real bullet hole in the back of the jacket the JFK wore that day. So to give you an idea, as Mark sits here, this is his right shoulder here. So somewhere in this vicinity is what is depicted on the actual photo of the actual jacket that John F. Kennedy was wearing and what a, a Secret Service agent Glenn Bennett says that he witnessed. Right, now that is one important piece of evidence. Another one is the name of the movie, which has an adjoining book that I mentioned a few minutes ago called My God, I'm Hit. Why is it called My God, I'm Hit, Jason? It's because another Secret Service agent testifying of what happened that day was the one that sat in the front passenger seat, um, uh, Roy Kellerman. Roy Kellerman, a former Michigan State policeman, notably. He came out of the Michigan State Police, applied for the Secret Service, got the job, he was actually JFK's guy. That's who was supposed to guard JFK. We believe he stood down for some reason. You'll notice that he never got out of a car moving no more than 10 miles an hour. You're supposed to assume when you hear anything that even remotely sounds like a gunshot, you're supposed to assume it is a gunshot. Why didn't Roy Kellerman stand up, open that door and jump on JFK? Very, very strange. Yes. But the important part is, is that he heard JFK's, he heard the, the sound of what, you know, sound like a gunfire, sound like gunfire, sound like a gunshot, and he heard JFK say, ha, ah, my God, I'm hit. Now, if the magic bullet that supposedly went through the upper middle of his back did a, did a uh, 
vertical turn and went through his throat, right through the larynx and voice box area, as the Warren Commission drawings purport to show, and went into Connolly's body after doing amazing tricks, if that bullet went through the vocal box area, right. how could JFK yell, let alone even whisper, the words, my God, I'm hit? The trauma would have been too great. There's no way he could get those words out loudly enough above the sound of motorcycles, above the sound of cheering fans, for Kellerman to very audibly and clearly hear him say that. So, that is another thing, another very curious thing that suggests that JFK was only shot in the right shoulder, which would not be fatal, generally speaking, and was not shot through the throat, hence he was able to say those words. Now, keep that one in mind. Now we've lined two things up, right? Right. Now here's another one. The June DeShong Diary. This is also, all these things I'm talking about are in the movie My God I'm Hit at MyGodImHit.com. And we'll explain how to watch that toward the end of this video. But another thing, the June DeShong Diary, is there was a, a woman that worked downtown there locally named June DeShong. Uh, people kept diaries in those days. That was mm -hmm. a big thing in the 60s and whatnot. And she wrote down that she saw Kennedy's arm slip off the side of the car. There was no mention of him grabbing for his throat in this manner, like the Z film that we'll talk about in a few minutes, the Zapruder film purports to show. This she never saw. And in fact, Jason, there is not a, a single testimony of Secret Service agents or people down there that day that said definitively that JFK grabbed for his throat like this. They said that he slumped down in the seat. That is repeated over and over again. To his left, he slumped down in the seat. I'll slightly illustrate that. June DeShong, however, saw his arm slip off the side of the car, mm -hmm. which would be explained logically by the paralysis or numbing of the bullet in the shoulder. Right. And you don't see that in the film. Now, another researcher named Doug Horn who worked for the Assassinations Review Board, pretty honest guy, pretty straight shooter. I met him in person in 2014 at a JFK conference in Virginia, adjoining Washington, D.C. So virtually everyone that I've gotten information from, I've met in person. Not all, but most. Right. I worked very hard at that. Got first-hand documents, got the best evidence I could, Brian as well. And when I... Talked to Doug Horn, he talked about the, um, the fact that JFK, uh, you know, said, my God, I'm hit. He corroborated that. And he corroborated other things. And the thing is, is sort of inadvertently, Jason, he gave this slideshow presentation and had different elements that corroborated elements of what Brian and I did. And he didn't know that. He wasn't saying them for the purpose of corroborating what Brian and I researched, he just happened on his own without knowing anything about us to corroborate a number of things. Yeah, so he basically presented what he had and it lined up with what you had right. willingly. Right, right, and that's very important. It's like a double blind. Right. One of the things that Brian and I were aware of that he brought out even more was that when the actual events happened on Elm Street that day as the presidential limo went past the Texas School Book Depository and one or two shots went off, 
the limo was brought to a stop for a few seconds. The Z film, the Zapruder film, does not show that. And as Doug Horn told the conference that day in Virginia, that should bother you. That mm-hmm. should concern you. That the car stopped, but the video, the, the film by Zapruder does not show that. Very important. Right. Now, what does that say? That shows the, the film was manipulated. But as Brian and I show, and as Doug talked about, again, in a double-blind kind of situation, it was manipulated far beyond that. And that's very interesting, but we'll get into that in a minute. So we've talked about the right shoulder thing. We've talked about the My God, I'm Hit um, outburst by JFK. We talked about June Deshong. Now keep in mind that Glenn Bennett was behind JFK. That's six o'clock. June Deshong was to his right, JFK's right. That's nine o'clock. Roy Kellerman was in front of JFK. That's 12 o'clock. Who was at 3 o'clock? That was the um, witnesses, which primarily was Mary Mormon. Did Brian and I interview Mary Mormon? Yes. Did we do it in person? Yes. We, we uh, videotaped some segments of her that are, are going to come out on a new version of My God, I'm Hit in the not-too-distant future, and those new segments will show, drumroll please, Mary Mormon agrees with Brian and I's theory. Wow. And she was the three o'clock witness. So very compelling. What we're pointing out is these witnesses go all the way around JFK, all four chief vantage points. Yes. Now, the Zapruder film is really important to talk about because a lot of people will say, well, whatever you, Anderson Anderson, have to say about this, we have this national treasure, the Zapruder film that was first brought out in the mid-1970s by a young Geraldo Rivera. But the first person that saw it privately was Dan Rather. Now, Dan Rather turned out not to be the most trusted newsman as much as he might have been trusted back in the day like Walter Cronkite was. When the events of 63 happened, Dan Rather was a young journalist still cutting his teeth. The, the big granddaddy who was telling America the news was Walter Cronkite. Right. Now let's segue into one thing that Walter Cronkite talked about. When they first were reporting that there was a shooting in downtown Dallas, a shooting, they said the gun found was a German Mauser, not the Italian Carcano uh, carbine that we've all been mythologically told was the one or the only gun. Right. Mauser German-made rifle with the sniper scope sights that was found. Now the Mauser, and I've I've held Mausers, I've shot Mausers. They are a formidably accurate German-made rifle. German engineering is hard to beat, ladies and gentlemen. And if you wanted to poke JFK in the shoulder from either the sixth floor, the fifth floor, the fourth floor, the depository, or from another vantage point with a scope on it, the one and only gun that you're going to best accomplish that with in those days, and it's still a formidably accurate weapon, is the German Mauser. And that was found, and that was confirmed by the county sheriff at that time, who was much maligned, very mysteriously maligned, Roger Craig. Roger Craig is shown in, in our video, My God, I'm Hit, and he had a partner, Seymour Weitzman, I believe his name is, if memory serves, and they filled out an affidavit, they confirmed that the gun they found was a German Mauser. Yet, mysteriously, 
Roger Craig in the media was smeared as an alcoholic, as an incompetent in the not too distant future after these events, uh, Jason. And um, he ended up dying in rather, rather, not totally, but rather mysterious ways, a little soon in life, you might say. Let's, let's just say you make up your own mind, ladies and gentlemen, about that. But he insisted and stuck to the facts that this was a Mauser, and yet all sorts of journalists, Hugh Ainsworth, in my opinion, a very unsavory, untrustworthy journalist who was a big name in those days, he and I got into a virtual shouting match <laughs> in the seventh floor of the uh, sixth floor museum, uh, Jason, over this this point that it, I said it was a Mauser. He said Roger Craig was a drunk and couldn't trust a word he said. And I put my finger in his face. I said, I don't buy it. They passed the muster. It was the testimony of two men. They signed an affidavit. What they told would hold up in court. What you're telling me is you're not even explaining where this Italian Carcano came from. It, all of a sudden, it was just trotted out as they delegitimized and smeared Roger Craig and his factual documented finding of that Mauser. And what people need to understand is that something else that happened was the detail, the Secret Service agent detail was very limited. And what you need to understand is they did not go ahead of time and look at there was thousands of windows that needed to be inspected. No inspection was done. And that was because there were so few manpower Correct. in the time that they had. And, so they opted to not inspect any window. And we're talking thousands of windows. And so I just want to point that fact out so people can hear that side of it as well to understand why there were these other areas that it could have happened as well as where the weapon, the true weapon could have resided. Right. Exactly. That's an excellent point because some people might say, well, you know, you know, there's all these vantage points and whatnot, but yeah, because there, there was no way logically to inspect all those windows and all right. those tall buildings. Um, the, the, the uh, assailant that, that shot JFK in the shoulder, as, as our thesis insists, uh, could have been anywhere. It, it may not have been the sixth floor. However, they did find the Mauser in the, the, the Texas School Book Depository. Mm -hmm. That's where they found it. Now, that doesn't definitively prove that that gun was used. It could have been planted there to take people off the trail as to where the real shooting took place. But Brian and I are fairly content that they very well, they may very well have used the Texas School Book Depository as it was known at that time as the chief vantage point. But we also show in, in the movie, My God, I'm Hit, that there were apparently other shooters who were probably just shooting blanks to create confusion. Right. So you would get you would get different audio impressions and different echoes, so no one would be able to piece it together definitively. Right, but it doesn't mean that the that there was a not a Mauser in another window. Correct. Right, right. They might have put one there and used another one somewhere else, but nevertheless, they did find a Mauser. And although this is something of a of a tangential comment, 
Oswald was only linked purportedly and allegedly to the Italian Manlicher Carcano carbine. He was not linked as having purchased or owned or possessed a German Mauser at any time, including in any photos. There's that photo where he's purportedly holding that gun in the backyard that's fairly famous where many theorized that the head was pasted on that photo, that it wasn't right. real. The right. photo does look phony. All, all, all in all, most people believe it was a phony. So there, there's never been a connection of Oswald with the Mauser. That being said, that's something of a tangent. We'll get back to the core things. So well, we, let's, let's break quickly before we go into our, our break here. Um, let, me, let me just give a quote go ahead. from J. Edgar Hoover. And I'll read it for accuracy. So two days after the event of November 22, 1963, J. Edgar Hoover released a memo. And in this memo, he stated, The thing I am concerned about is having something issued so we can convince the public that Oswald is the real assassin. We'll be right back after these messages. Convince people that this war is real. He said, but the media. A history of the last 200 years. Now, you created the Federal Reserve in 1913 through lies. As told by the money trail. First, to prepare the United States for a foreign war. Under the guise of American defense. Written by Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. My name is Kevin Shipp. I'm a former decorated CIA officer. There is a shadow government that is manipulating our elected officials that we see behind the scenes. And finally, someone has come out and written what I think is the best expose on the shadow government ever. Who controls your money? Who controls your savings? You have been lied to. Time after time after time. Political turmoil. National security. Climate change. Military crisis. Violence. Drug war. Nuclear proliferation. The U.S. is at the very least nurturing the largest source of the deadliest and most addictive drug on the planet. The Central Intelligence Agency was actively protecting certain large drug shipments. So you tell me what the occupation of Afghanistan is really about. The Killing of Uncle Sam. Get your copy today. Visit KillingUncleSamBook.com. Killing the Planet book. Available now. From Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, just they got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. The negative impact of population growth is 
What do you see as the biggest challenges in, in conservation? The growing human population. And to get to that goal, you have to monopolize the energy aspects of people around the planet. If you control those two aspects, the green revolution and the gene revolution, then you're able to control the entire planet, every resource on it, extinguish freedom for the rest of history. Available now. Go to killingtheplanetbook.com to get your copy today. Have you ever wondered about the story of money? Read Alice and the Money Tree, written by J.M. Weston Briggs, an illustrated beginner's guide to money and its hidden political and economic impact on society. Get your copy today by going to www.themoneywonderland.com. Welcome back to this segment of World Impact News. For the record, as, as we continue here, I want to read the exact quote from the guy in the 12 o'clock position, and that's right here, Roy Kellerman. You can see him sitting in the front passenger seat ahead of JFK, that 12 o'clock position I referred to earlier. And he's the one that heard Kennedy say, oh my God, I'm hit. And this is what he said. Upon turn, now the FBI wrote about what Kellerman said and wrote about it in the third person. So he doesn't say, I saw this or I heard that. Upon turning his head to the left, he, that's Kellerman, observed President Kennedy with his left hand reaching in back of him, appearing to be reaching to a point on his right shoulder. And that's more or less simultaneously with saying the words as Kellerman heard, my God, I'm hit. So it wasn't, bang like this it was bang like this and then the arm getting weak and then slumping into the seat that by all by the best evidence that we've seen by the most credible things that we've researched that's what actually happened now let's talk about the Sapruder film now the Sapruder film again as I mentioned earlier a lot of people will say well but we have the Z film that shows us what happens. So you guys, your thing doesn't really hold water. That's true, of course, if the Z film was undoctored. We already talked a few minutes ago about the fact that the car stopped and the Z film doesn't show that. But that's only the beginning of the problems, mm -hmm. Jason, with the Z film. Another one, this is just a miscellaneous one, is the researcher Jack White <clears throat> showed compelling evidence that the foreground where the limo is going down the road and the background that the limo is going past are proportionally out of whack, making it appear that they messed with the background and made it a separate item from the foreground. For instance, Mary Mormon and her friend standing to the three o'clock position of JFK and Jackie look too tall compared to the car. And they said that they were standing off the curb and the film shows them standing on the curb. Now, um, that might seem like a minor detail and maybe not instrumental to this, but moving on. Now, the bigger problems with the Z film is that frame 13 purports to show the fatal shot where the head supposedly explodes. And what Mark's talking about is the, is frame 313 is where 
the alleged impact happened yes. compared to frame 314. Uh, correct. And this, this is something that you'll see a much larger image of, but here is frame 314, and there is a phenomenon near JFK's head, but the back of the skull is intact. And when we talked about Robert McClellan, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, when we talk about him in a few minutes, you'll see why that's important. But 314 is one frame after the fatal shot that's supposed to have led to JFK's death. Mm -hmm. And the back of his skull it, that, that was later seen to be blown out in trauma room one at Parkland Hospital, the back of his skull, right when it should have been blown out, is shown intact. Right. And there was this blob that you'll get into, I'm sure, but there was a blob that happened in the forward, uh, in front of his face. Uh, that, Some, an anomaly that happened in front. That, that's correct, and I'll, I'll reiterate, here's frame 312, skull intact, here's frame 313, the, the fatal shot supposedly, skull, back of the skull still intact, frame 314, back of the skull still intact. I, I, and I might as well just mention it now so I don't lose continuity, that when the body, and you'll see why I'm putting quotes around it later, when the body was brought into trauma room one to, to desperately try and save the victim's life, Dr. Robert McClelland, who passed away very recently here in the fall of 2019, was the one standing in the 12 o'clock position. At, you know, here's JFK's head. Here's the top of JFK's head. JFK's looking that way. He's got his hand underneath JFK's head and it's bleeding out. And uh, Dr. Robert McClellan never wavered and never contradicted his eyewitness account that the wound, the exit wound, was right here in the back, just above the cerebellum, which is here. And it was bleeding out. However, as I showed, and as larger images will show for this presentation, right before the fatal shot, at the fatal shot, and right after the fatal shot, the back of his head that McClellan saw blown out remained intact. Now, this is where we get a little X-file-ish, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. uh, admittedly. Um, one plus one is two. What we're showing here, what the facts tell us, as carefully as we can discern them, is that that could mean only one logical thing. And that is the body brought into trauma room one and the body that was hit with a shot in the right shoulder in the presidential limo was not the same person. It was not the same body. And this is where we see that there was a body that died in trauma room one. And I'm saying this with some solemn reverence for the gravity of what I'm saying. I realize I'm not talking about some casual item here, that I'm talking about something that's a paradigm shift away from what Americans have been told, so I'm saying it with some gravitas here. Because that body was a separate body, and the body in, from the body in the car, then that means that JFK, having been hit in the shoulder, never left the car. Now, how is that possible? This is where Secret Service agent Clinton Hill comes into the picture, Jason. And how is it possible that the person in the back of the limo, that being JFK sitting next to Jackie, shot in the shoulder as we believe the evidence shows, how is it possible that the person in, the, in trauma room one was someone else? 
Well, that would, would, that would have required a body switch. Now, how would the body switch happen? As we show in my God, I'm hit. Well, the 100X, we determined, does have, did have a removable back seat. The whole car could be largely taken apart. Not completely, you know, not, not totally disassembled, but to a very large extent, there was a, 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 a lot of disassembly that could happen. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was the back seat popped off. The thesis that Brian, David Anderson, and I have, and we believe the evidence of my, my God, I'm hit points to it. You can watch the movie and we can get you a copy of the book and you can make up your own mind. The movie is highly recommended. But the thesis we have states that there was another body in the large trunk of the 100X, which had a very large trunk, a very, about a 21, 22 foot long car. Yeah. And that trunk was quite large. We believe there was a secret compartment in there, logically speaking. Again, you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable remains the truth. We stick to that maxim. So we believe that a expert shooter had a lookalike to Kennedy and remember, most presidents had lookalikes going back as far possibly as Grant and Lincoln. It is not uncommon, and it was actually done, ladies and gentlemen, for presidents to have lookalikes who were hired to appear at certain places where the real president could hide out or go somewhere else, sometimes due to fear of possible assassination. Mm -hmm. This is not a mystery. Yeah. So, some sort of lookalike, we say, in our thesis, was in the trunk and was shot through the forehead here at close range with a pistol and that exited out the back of the head just as Dr. Robert McClellan described. So the only way for McClellan to receive a body and the other doctors in that trauma room at Parkland Hospital with that kind of wound naturally would be for somebody to receive that kind of wound. But the Z film and the, the different evidence shows conclusively, we believe, that JFK sitting in that seat did not receive the wounds that McClellan saw. One plus one is two, as I stated. So, the after the bullet was shot through the lookalike in the trunk, the bullet very well may have went out the back of the head through this high-powered pistol, through the trunk and out into the street. Sure enough, as we'll show uh, uh, in, this, in this presentation, a FBI agent, in fact, found, along with the Dallas police officer, found the 45 slug. The 45 slug was found right where you'd expect to find it. And you'll notice that there's very little that's ever been said about that 45 slug, ladies and gentlemen, just like with the finding of the German Mauser having been the real gun and not the Italian Carcano. These things are rarely discussed because they're the little threads that you begin pulling on that begin to unravel this and actually begin to make the JFK events solvable for the first time in American history. We actually, Jason, I believe, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel through this thesis. Yeah. This concludes part one. Watch or listen to part two of JFK Revisited, Death or Disappearance. You can watch both part one and part two on YouTube or listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and many other platforms.